But right now, as I said, we're in the middle of a three-week series doing a check-up and a check-in on the health of our homes. We're talking about some of the things that can create challenges in our homes. We're gonna check in on how we're doing with them. We're gonna talk about the best way to deal with these things, which is God's way. And I always wanna encourage everyone, if you're a grandparent, then you have children and grandchildren whose lives you can speak into. If you're not married yet, it is good to have a vision for what you want your home and your marriage to look like. I've shared before that, that marriage and parenting are two of those topics that for most of us, we get into them and once we're in them, that's when we realize we have no idea what we're doing. And we're like, okay, well, how, how is this supposed to work? What do we do? So any way that you can have a vision and a plan before you get into marriage, before you get into parenting is gonna help you tremendously. And hopefully this will be one of those encouraging bits of information for you. Last week we talked about parenting the heart of a child rather than their behavior. If you have kids or are hoping to have kids and you missed that message, I really encourage you to listen to it online. I share a bunch of things that I wish I had known when I started parenting and those things are the reason that Charlene and I parent pretty differently now to how we did when we first started having kids. Uh, by number six, you're semi-professional practically at that point like that. So first few kids probably gonna be pretty messed up, but back three, they've got a, they got a, a good chance, I'm just gonna say. You just will not believe how true it is that you get more relaxed the more kids you have. When we look at how, how strict we were with Sydney, who was our first, compared to like Lauren, there's just like, there's just no comparison. Like, like if there's a movie on that really only Sydney should be watching and Lauren wonders in the room, we're like, oh, well. Whatever, just go ahead and watch that. So we're just so much more relaxed now. And I can't decide if that is good, if this is intentional, or if we just don't care anymore at this point. But I'm gonna say it's nuanced wisdom. Let's go with that, right, so I can keep my credibility. But I gotta be honest, when it comes to talking about things like family, uh, parenting, and, and, and marriage, what I've realized just as a pastor and, and talking to different people and, and going through life is that what most of us need to hear is the absolute basics, the absolute basics. Because a lot of the time, we're not doing even the basics. Like when it comes to marriage, it might be really fun to talk about things like how to make a great date night with your spouse, but there's not a whole lot of point talking about stuff like that if you haven't yet figured out how to disagree with your spouse without yelling, interrupting, calling them names, and questioning their salvation. There's not a whole lot of point talking about how to have a great date night if you haven't figured that out yet because the date night might not even happen because you just might explode in the car. And so when I decided that I wanted us to talk about family culture, which is what we're going to do today, I decided that I wanted to talk about the absolute basics of building a family culture. I'm talking about having a set of values that define your identity as a family. I'm talking about the answer to the question, what is your family all about. If you're sitting out there and you're nodding, but you're secretly thinking, this is honestly the first time I've ever even thought about that question, Jeff, then you need to know you're selling it really well because I bought the nod 100%, but praise God, you're in the right place where you need to be and you're confirming that I'm teaching what I need to be teaching, so be encouraged if that's you. There are many great quotes that have gone down in history. Napoleon Hill wisely said, if you cannot do great things, do small things in a great way. The philosopher Rodney Dangerfield said, when I was a kid, my parents moved a lot, but I always found them. 
Thomas Edison said genius is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. The prosaic Mitch Hedberg insightfully observed that rice is great when you're hungry and want 2,000 of something. Man, are you guys racist or something? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But on the subject of creating a family culture, the greatest quote of all time comes from a man named Joshua. Close to the end of his life, when the promised land had been conquered by the children of Israel and it was being divided up among the tribes of Israel, he called them together and he reminded them of all that the Lord had done for them. All the mighty miracles they had seen on their way out of Egypt and through the promised land. All the impossible situations that God had brought them through. And he cautioned them that in the promised land there would be tribes and peoples who did not love the Lord or serve the Lord. And they would try to lure the Israelites to join them in worshiping their false gods, their idols. And Joshua challenged the children of Israel to make up their mind there and then about which path they were going to follow. And then he spoke these famous words. It's on your outlines. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is to be the vision for family culture in every Christian family. It's a statement of intent. It's a statement of priority. It's about mom and dad saying, if there's one thing that we're going to be about as a family, it's loving and serving the Lord. And what I want to do today is challenge us to consider whether or not we've made that commitment as a family and as the leaders of our families. If we have made that commitment, are we doing things that are going to result in that being accomplished in our family? Are the decisions we're making for our family moving us closer to the goal of being a family that serves the Lord or further away from it? Because it's not enough to simply say that that is our goal. We have to actually make choices that are going to help us accomplish that goal. The best example I can give is from the TV show The Office. There's this one scene where the boss, the incompetent Michael Scott, learns that his personal finances are in shambles. It's one of the best moments of the show. And so at a a loss of what to do, the company accountant tells him that he, he might have no choice but to declare bankruptcy, to which Michael responds famously by walking into the common area of the office and yelling the words, I declare bankruptcy! And and when the accountant tells him that just saying it doesn't help anything, he responds with, but I didn't say it, I declared it. And, and, And the same is true when it comes to family culture. It doesn't help anything to just put over the door to your house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Done, done. We have to actually make decisions and take actions that will help us work toward that goal in our home. Last week we talked about parenting the heart of a child and we talked about the reality for all of us that our beliefs drive our behavior. Whatever our behavior looks like, it's driven by our beliefs. But now here's the next level of understanding for mom and dad, for the husband, for the wife. Write this down. While it's true that your beliefs drive your behavior, really get this, it's also true that your behavior drives your family's beliefs. 
Your behavior drives your family's beliefs. I'll give you the most obvious example in the world. Most of us are aware of the reality that most of the time, women tend to be drawn to men who share character traits with their fathers, while men tend to be drawn to women who share character traits with their mothers. It's not a voluntary decision. It's an involuntary bias that's rooted in the subconscious of most men and women because for better or worse, we are wired to be profoundly influenced by our parents. When you get married, you give your spouse an enormous amount of influence over your life, probably more than any other human being. Both our spouses and our children are having their belief system enormously influenced by our behavior, enormously influenced. And I point that out to share this, make a note of this. My family's culture begins with me. My family's culture begins with me. I am not to be a passive observer of my family's culture. I am to help create my family's culture. It's not that I need to lead the way. What I want us to understand is that we are leading the way, whether we realize it or not. The only question is, where are we leading our family to? How am I living my life? Who am I and and what do I do when no one else is around? If I'm taking in media content that's not pleasing to the Lord, I have no right to expect or hope that my children will not do the same thing. We love to fool ourselves, even as Christians, we love to fool ourselves by pretending that there's no spiritual reality or no spiritual dynamics in play when it comes to stuff like our secret sins. But there are, and when we allow things that aren't good for us, that aren't pleasing to the Lord into our lives, we invite them into our homes and they affect us. And they affect our kids. Paul writes about this reality and principle in Galatians 6. And so as I read it, it's on your outlines too. As we read this, imagine that Paul is saying it to you about your family. About what you do in public and what you do in private. And about what it's sowing into your family. Paul says this. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So Paul actually says, listen guys, don't don't think you're being clever or that you're going to somehow trick the system with God by only sinning in secret and saying, well, you know, because I love my kids, I'll just sin in secret and then it won't affect them at all. God says, don't don't think you're gonna mock God like that. You're sowing spiritual seed with your actions and there's gonna be a harvest from that no matter what. So don't delude yourself to think that there's such a thing as a private sin that affects nobody else. It will affect them. But the encouragement on the flip side is that if we'll sow good things, Even if it takes a while, those good choices will lead to a harvest of good for us, for our spouses, for our families, for our marriages. Living a godly life will impact our family in the long run, absolutely. Jesus said that our heavenly Father sees the good we do in secret and he'll reward us in public for it. So if you want your children to grow into men and women who who love the Bible and have a passion for it, 
then have a passion for the Bible yourself. Build that into your personal life. Develop a, a deep and meaningful personal relationship with the Word of God. If you want your kids to resist the temptation to fall into sexual sin, then you have to resist the temptation of sexual sin. If you want them to battle it, you have to battle it. I think of David, you know, when he was just a teenager, he killed Goliath. And the years went by, and, and when we see David on his deathbed, he's surrounded by the group that came to be known as David's mighty men. And scripture records that they were giant killers as well. And here's the amazing part. None of them ever actually saw David kill a giant. None of them. And yet, fearlessly waging war against evil was just, it's just part of David's character. And those men who spent time with David picked up on David's character. They caught it, so to speak. On the other hand, the list of men who surrounded Saul doesn't include even one giant killer. Because Saul, who was afraid to do battle with Goliath, never killed a giant himself. And so dad, your kids or grandchildren will take on aspects of who you are. They're gonna catch it. They're gonna catch who you are. Would you write this down? Our family will take on aspects of who we are. They'll take on aspects of who we are. So be who you are on purpose. Be who you are on purpose. Do you remember the tragic story of Achan from the book of Joshua? The Israelites had crossed the Jordan River on their way out of Egypt, they had, they had entered the promised land. They were done with wandering in the wilderness for 38 years. Their, their first battle was the epic, impenetrable city of Jericho. And most of you know the story. God worked a miracle and without any type of battle, as the Israelites shouted in victory, the walls of the city came tumbling down. Now God had given Israel an instruction that they were to take nothing from the city of Jericho for themselves. All the valuables, all the treasure was to be given to the treasury of the Lord. And the idea at work there was simply the principle that the first of everything belongs to the Lord. It's the same principle behind the tithe. Now the Lord all along had planned on saying, listen, we're going to be conquering all kinds of cities as we make our way across the promised land. Everything else you conquer, you guys can just divide everything you find among yourselves. Help yourself to the treasure of all those cities. But the first, Jericho, that belongs to the Lord. So feeling invincible after conquering Jericho, Israel marched on. And they go to the next challenge, the next city, the city of Ai, where they are soundly beaten and have to run for their lives. Well, what happened? The Lord comes to Joshua, who's the commander of Israel at that time, and the Lord tells Joshua that someone has obeyed his command and taken some of the treasure from the city of Jericho when they were not supposed to. And so Israel's been cursed. They gotta fix this, because God's not with them in battle anymore. And the man the Lord was talking about was Achan. You see, Achan thought his secret sin wasn't gonna affect anyone. Took some treasure, buried it under his tent. It'll enrich our family in the long run. What's the big deal? No one's gonna notice it few gold bars, a few bits of jewelry, it's not a big deal. But it resulted in the deaths of 36 men from the army of Israel, Achan himself, and his entire family. 
You see, our sin never affects only us. Our kids, our spouse, our home is being impacted, affected, and influenced by who we are, who we are. Our children and grandchildren and spouses are going to end up, in all likelihood, walking many of the paths that we wear down with our behaviors. And so it's worth being intentional about how and where we walk, about where we create paths for our family to follow in our footsteps. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know that you might be here today or listening to this or watching this online and you might be filled with regret because maybe you realize that you spent a lot of your life parenting in a way that isn't the way the Lord has called you to. Or maybe you feel like the opportunity's gone. Too much time has passed to get your parenting on track. And I want to encourage you with two thoughts. The first thought I want to encourage you with is that, yes, the people who are in your house have an enormous influence on you. But there's a brother in your house as well who's influencing and shaping you. Jesus said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, Jesus is part of your family. He's part of your house. You're part of his house. And he always has and always will serve the Father perfectly. And he's in you and he is influencing you with his presence for good. And that gives me great hope because even when I drop the ball, I mess up, I, I fall short, I make a mistake, I'm still in the house of the one who never fails. And what does the word say? Probably my favorite promise in all of scripture. If we are faithless, he remains what? Faithful. Faithful. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Jesus is your brother. You're part of his family. And when Jesus is in your house, anything's possible. Anything's possible. Second thing I want to encourage you with. Peter had boasted, you might remember, he had boasted to Jesus, Jesus, even if everyone else forsakes you, bails on you, I won't. I'll die next to you because I am in. But by the time the rooster crowed, Peter had denied Jesus three times, denied even knowing him. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he, he found Peter and he asked him, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Peter denied him three times and now Jesus gave him three opportunities to answer, I love you, I love you. And then Jesus responded by saying, feed my lambs. It was as if Jesus was saying to Peter, you're not disqualified, Peter. It's a new day. Your sin is forgiven. Still work to do. There's still lambs to feed. There's still people who need to be discipled. And so if you've dropped the ball in your parenting big time, God's not done with you. It's still a new day, starting here and now. God still has a way to use you if you'll let him do that. And if your kids are grown, you can still pray for them faithfully. Don't think you're done for a minute. Your prayers can still make a huge difference. Remember, if you don't give up, if you don't give up, 
You're going to see God move. You're going to see him do good. You can still be involved with grandchildren. You can still get involved with the children's ministry. They're lambs that God has put in your life for you to help feed. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, I got to be blunt. God has not called us to be men who turn to their wives and say, I mean, what do you think, babe? Should we serve the Lord? What do you think? We're called to be the ones who declare directly, powerfully, and boldly that our families will. They will indeed serve the Lord. You know, Joshua was not always a strong leader. After Moses died, God told Joshua three times in chapter one of the book of Joshua to be strong and of good courage. Even the people said, we'll follow you, Joshua. Only be strong and very courageous. You see, evidently, Joshua needed this exhortation from the Lord. He needed this encouragement from the congregation. And that doesn't surprise me. Because when it comes to our families, when it comes to stepping up and leading our families, men tend to, by nature, want to do the bare minimum. And don't be outraged by that statement. Don't, don't even pretend to be like falsely offended because you know the truth, men. I, I'm not saying that that's what we all do. I'm not saying that's what we all do. I'm saying that for most of us, if we just follow the desires of our flesh, we just leave all that home and children stuff to our wives like 100%. For example, when we were having our, our first child, when we were having Sydney, Charlene did the typical mother thing and, and read all the books about how to raise a baby. And she brought home these books, and I, I just remember thinking, that is a really thick book. And you see, my thoughts weren't, oh, th thank goodness there's so much helpful information out there to help me be the best parent that I can be. M my thought wasn't, you know, this is so important. I cannot believe the Lord has entrusted me with a, with a precious little human life. M my thought was, that is a really thick book. And when Charlene asked me where to keep the book so that I could find it when I wanted to read it, I, I, my response was, well, I mean, I mean babe, like, like if you're going to read the whole thing, you know, can, can I just ask you if there's something that I need to know? It just seems incredibly inefficient to me. But men, <laughs> we are not called to be that way when it comes to the spiritual direction of our families and our family values and culture. God's word says that we ought to be men. We need to step up. We need to grow and become men who say with strength and certainty, there's no compromising on this. This is the way it's gonna be. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm not talking about arrogance or dictatorship or, or brutality. I'm talking about men who will say with firmness and love, son, daughter, it doesn't really matter if everybody else has a cell phone with unrestricted internet access or is listening to music that talks about treating women like prostitutes or is watching TV shows that are basically big budget porn. We're going to serve the Lord as long as you're under my roof. I'm responsible for you and I love you. I want the best for you and I know that those things are going to mess up your life and do damage to your future relationships in a deep way. They're gonna do damage to your mind. So even though you might be angry with me, I care more about you than what you think of me right now. I care more about you than that. For about the last, well, probably 30 years, 
there's been a, a huge shift in parenting and I think a lot of it is rooted in selfishness if I'm honest because a lot of the time parents' highest priorities is that their kids like them. They just want their kids to like them. But that's not what parenting is about. And don't get me wrong, it is wonderful when our kids like us. But that's, that's not the goal. The ultimate goal isn't that your kids would like you. The ultimate goal, the most selfless goal you could have as a parent is to raise our kids in the way that will be most beneficial to them all the days of their life and on into eternity. That's the most selfless way to parent, to raise our kids in the way that's going to benefit them the most over the course of their life. The children of Israel said to Joshua, we'll follow you, only be strong and of good courage. So they were even saying in that moment, when we step out of line, Joshua, do what needs to be done. When God tells you to do something, Joshua, you better do it. Even if we're telling you that you shouldn't, even if we're not on board with it, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Dad, your wife, kids and grandchildren are saying the same thing. Whether it's articulated or not, your family wants you to be strong and courageous. They want you to hold the line spiritually. So write this down. God calls men to establish and hold the spiritual direction of their family. Establish and hold the spiritual direction of their family. If you're a single parent or a woman married to a man who won't take spiritual leadership of the family, then you need to step up and step in yourself. You need to do what Deborah did in the Old Testament days. You might know the story. When Barak, the general of Israel's fighting forces, wouldn't take the lead, you remember he was chickening out. He wouldn't go into battle. Deborah said, well, if you won't lead, then I will. And she did just that. And as a result, she goes down in history in the Bible as an example of what a woman ought to do if a man won't do the things that he's called to do. If there's no man to lead, then the woman needs to step up and step in because the kids are too important. They're too important. It is essential that our kids are trained properly by a loving parent who will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said. We will serve the Lord. He was saying, I expect this to be reality in my family. I believe that I'm going to see my kids serving the Lord beside me. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That means that dad, husband, or grandpa, we've got to say, I believe, I have faith that God will do in my family, in my kids, in my marriage what he's promised. I believe that. And what has God promised? Well, he's promised to be faithful, to complete the good work that he started. He's promised to keep that which is committed to him. He's promised that if you train up a child in the way they should go, even when they're old, they will not depart from it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. That's what Paul told the Philippian jailer. In other words, he was saying, if you believe, not only will you be saved, but in due time, your family will be saved too. That's God's heart. That's his desire for every family. For 120 years, Noah pounded away on the ark, preparing it not only for the animals, but also for his wife, his three sons, and their wives too. But what's amazing is that Noah started preparing those rooms 
20 years before his sons were even born. That's faith. That's faith. He believed that God was going to give him children to pour into. And you can do the same thing, dad or grandpa. In faith, you can pray and declare and thank God. God, thank you that my family is going to serve you. Thank you, Father, that the destiny of my children is not to be overcome by the world, but to overcome the world through you. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to finish the good work that you started in my family. Have faith. Believe that God will do what he has said he will do. You know, it's not unusual to hear pastors and preachers alike say something like, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. The last church I worked at, I had a pastor who used to joke all the time. He said, Jeff, the reality of life is more like God loves you and everyone else has a wonderful plan for your life. That's the reality. In other words, everyone else has an idea of what your life should look like, what your priorities should be, including Satan. He's got a plan for your family too. He's got a plan for my family as well. It's probably not what you think. His plan is not that your whole family turns into Satanists and walks around in black robes randomly shouting, Hail Satan at people on the street. That, that's not his plan. If you belong to Jesus, Satan's plan is simply that you keep it to yourself. He doesn't want you passing it on to your kids. If your spouse is a believer, he doesn't want you passing it on to them. And so his plan is simply that you get distracted by other things and allow time to pass in a blur of sports, activities, vacations, video games, work, whatever. He really doesn't care. Just as long as you don't get serious about building a family culture that is centered on serving the Lord. Anything else, Satan's good with that. He loves to fill up your plate with other stuff. But just as none of us end up serving the Lord by accident, your family will not end up serving the Lord by accident. We have to be intentional about building that family culture. And I know this is the part of the message where, where everything in us wants to cry out, well, how do we do that, Jeff? Give us three steps. Give us ten steps. Give us a five-point plan. But here's what usually happens with that. We get emotionally worked up by the message. Right now you're like, yes, yes, I'm going to storm the gates of hell. We're going to give our family a nickname, the children of Zion or something. And we're just going to go hardcore. We get emotionally worked up. We make a commitment. I'm going to read the Bible with my kids every single night. There will never be another child in my house who goes to sleep without hearing from the scriptures. And we keep it up for, for, for maybe a few days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks. And then two weeks later we realize it's been two weeks since we've done it. And, and we feel like such a failure, we, we just don't even bother trying again. We're just like, I'm just, I'm just a terrible human being. I'm a terrible parent. Hopefully Jesus understands when I stand before him one day and I'm like, sorry, sorry. And so I, I don't want to do that to us. If I give you 10 things you should be doing, all, all that's going to do is discourage all of us. Because we're going to fail at most of them. What I want to ask us to do is to pray, each of us, and ask the Lord, what he wants us to do in each of our families. And then we make those things our, our goals. And just like we talked about last week, here's what you gotta know. You're gonna miss your goals a lot, like a lot. But what goals do is let us know what we're aiming for. 
We need goals just to know what we're shooting for. So, so maybe the Lord tells you that you need to have some sort of Bible time with your kids before they go to bed. Maybe it's just 10 minutes. Maybe it's a discussion at the dinner table. You're going to forget to do it sometimes. That's okay. That's okay. There's no condemnation because when it's a goal, here's the difference. When it's a goal, you're saying, this is going to be our new default. This is going to be our new normal in our family. Those times when we don't do it are going to be the times that aren't normal. So when we drop the ball, we forget to do it, we run out of time, we just pick the ball up and we keep going again. This is the direction we're going in. We're not making any crazy commitment like we're going to do 30 straight days of family devotions because you're not going to do that and then you're going to be discouraged. It's just about saying this is the goal. When we drop the ball, we pick it back up and we get going again because this is where we're going as a family. So ask the Lord to lead and guide you into practices that will help build a family culture centered on serving the Lord. And one of the ways that you can help get those thoughts going is just by asking some basic questions like, how are your children going to learn the Bible? Well, let me put it this way. If you come to church, how are your children going to know more about the Bible than the Sunday school stories? How are they going to develop their own personal love for the Bible? How's that going to happen? How are you going to integrate prayer into your life flow? How are you going to teach your kids how to pray? How are you going to ensure that church doesn't just become what your family does when it hasn't been invited to anything else? I'll be real blunt. This is one that for, for decades, families have been shooting themselves in the foot with this, where we have children and there's activities, sports, school things, and whenever anything else comes up, if it's during the time of church, we're like, oh yeah, there's nothing important going on right then. So let's go do that. And then those children go off to college and they check in with their parents and, and their parents are shocked. They're like, what do you mean it's been six months since you've been to church? And what happened is just that suddenly their children had other things to do on a Sunday night. And so they did what they'd been trained to do their whole life. They bumped church and they did the other thing. And we do this all the time as families. Church isn't valued, and then we raise children who don't value church because they grow up believing that church is where you go when you got nothing else to do. You know, when the weather isn't quite good enough to go to the lake, you haven't been invited to dinner, there's no important sports game on, there's no other activity. What sort of stuff are you going to watch on the TV in your home? How are you going to handle it in your family when one of you wrongs another member of the family? What are your family values going to be? So ask the Lord to lead you and guide you into the best practices for your family, for your family. I can tell you what we do, but your life isn't like my life. My life is weird. I work Saturdays and Sundays. I have Mondays and Fridays off, and so I have flexibility in my schedule. I start my work day at 6 a.m., and I take a break to do Bible time with my kids at 8.30 a.m. That's what what works for us. But we do some things like on, on one of our off days is a family day. That's our Sabbath. Friday is our Sabbath. And, and the rule is that we have to do something together as a family unless there's crazy extenuating circumstances. And so, so we do that. Sometimes it's just a movie and popcorn and we take the kids to the dollar store and they spend $3 on candy each and 
come home and think it's the greatest thing ever. Sometimes we go somewhere, but we do that because we wanted to create a, a family culture. And that's something that God just led us to that's worked really, really well for us. And so you've got to ask the Lord, what's going to work well for your family? What's his plan for your family? And then consider it a goal. Don't, don't make it like a commitment, like every day, every week we're going to do this. Just say, this is our goal to do this. But if we mess it up, we just pick it up next time and keep going. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't turn it into a religious thing. Don't view this as, I'll be a good parent if I do these things. Don't, don't do that. You're just going to buckle under the weight of that sort of pressure. It's okay that you're going to fail sometimes, a lot of the time. But it's just about moving towards that goal of a godly family culture. It's going to be difficult sometimes. It's going to be hard sometimes. There will be resistance. There will be things that will compete against those goals. But it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Write this down. It's our last fill-in. Ask the Lord what practices he wants to become normal in your family and work to establish them. Ask the Lord what practices he wants to become normal normal in your family and work to establish them. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Declare this for your own family. Expect it to happen. Realize that it begins with you and and be confident as you pray and ask the Lord for help because you know that this is God's will for your family. You remember Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. When we taught that, when we were going through the Gospels, we talked about Jesus isn't saying, ask for anything you want and I'll give it to you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, ask for anything that you know I want for you and I'll do it. I'll do it. Here's what you can know with absolute certainty. God wants you to have a strong marriage. God wants you to raise kids that grow up loving him and trusting him and blessing him and serving him. We know that that's what God wants. So when Jesus says, if you'll ask anything in my name and I will do it, that's covered. He says, if you come to Jesus and say, help me, help me to raise kids that grow up loving you. Help me to build a family culture that is all about serving you, God. Show me something to do. Give me a direction. He'll do it. He'll give it to you because we know that's his desire for our families. So start thinking about, start asking the Lord what actions, what goals, what desires he wants you to establish in your family in order to create a family culture that says we will serve the Lord. And maybe just start with one. Like don't go home and write like the 10 new commandments of our family uh, it's just going to be 10 ways to fail. So just start with one, incorporate it, add another one, do very, very basic things, and you'll be amazed, amazed how they accumulate. Charlene always makes fun of me because there's things that, that the kids do. Oh, just little things. You know, you have them in your home. Just like leaving the bathroom closet door open, like all the time, all the time. I've been yelling at the kids about this for like five years. And I'll, t- I'll tell Charlene, I'll be like, babe, how many times? She's like, Five to ten more years, she'll say. And, and I'm like, you know, she's right. Literally thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times. If there's anything you learn about family and, and about kids, uh, is that it's a marathon. It's a marathon. It's a marathon, but it's over faster than you realize. And the encouragement there is if you'll do these little things over and over and over and over and over and over again, 
with patience, with endurance, the Bible says you're going to reap a reward. You're going to see the good come from that if you don't lose heart. So begin thinking about what the Lord might have that look like in your family. If you have no idea, just ask him. Just ask him. And with that, let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, thank you so much that you love our families and you care about our families. God, thank you that you have a unique plan for every single one of our families. Lord, you know every husband, every wife represented in this room, every son, every daughter, every grandson, every granddaughter. You know the unique personalities, the way everyone is put together. And Father, you have a unique plan for every family. Not one that is designed to be a burden, Lord. You said that if we're weary and heavy laden, we should come to you because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so, Father, I pray right now for, for anyone in, in a family who is just feeling like a failure or feeling ashamed or feeling condemned or, or overwhelmed that they're, they're not doing enough. Father, I just thank you that what your plan is is not for any of those things to be a burden, but for family to be a blessing, God. And so, Lord, we just speak blessing over each other in the name of Jesus, over every family represented in this room. And I pray encouragement and peace. And then, Lord, we pray in faith and ask in faith, knowing that it is your good and perfect will. Lord, we pray for vision for every family represented in this room. That whatever stage the kids are at, whatever stage the family is at, Lord, you would give vision of how you desire to build in that family a family that serves the Lord, that has a culture of loving and serving you. Father, I pray for vision in the name of Jesus. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.